Awesome. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another edition of The Big Joel Show. Uh, pretty excited today. I've got Daniel Lippman in the studio from Politico. He looks pretty excited. He just got his hair done and everything. He's all excited. Um, and and I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited to talk to Daniel. Obviously, everyone knows it's watching this. I am the author of the little book on Big Ego. And Daniel, I'm sure ego is, never comes into play with anything political, right? I mean, like, It's the first time I've heard of it. So. It's the first time you've heard of it. Yeah, exactly. I'm so, going to read the book and figure out what, what this ego thing is. Yeah, exactly. So, so Daniel says, uh, you know, how long is this? And I said, you know, like 19 years, four hours. I mean, we could, <laughs> we could be talking about this subject forever. Um, um, and and so I wanted to just Daniel just start. You are I want to make sure I get this right. White House reporter for Politico and co-author of Politico's playbook. Uh, if you're watching this and you've heard the term Politico, which I know everyone has, you've seen the playbook. So I got the guy in the studio here that co-authored that thing. Um, while I was sitting here meeting Daniel for the first time, I think he was his whole face was in his phone uh, checking his feed. And so I said, how many hours a week are you working? Like 900 hours a week to stay, <laughs> to stay on top of everything? He said, eh, it's a little bit less than that. But Daniel, give me a little background on you. Um, Josh told me a great story, by the way, before you came in. Josh Brown's the producer of the, uh, of the Big Joel Show. It's a great story about when you guys were – I don't know whether you were in high school about how you used to carry around newspaper clippings everywhere <laughs> and then send notes to the people that wrote the article, kind of like gotcha notes, like, hey, by the way, this is factually wrong. Is it? Does, yeah, yeah. So is that a true story? That is true. Josh is not lying. Uh, when I was in high school and college, I would read a lot of news online and in print, and I would often see typos or errors in stories. And so I would email the reporter or the editor of the piece and gently tell them that they should fix this or change that. <laughs> and so that got me, uh, you know, a lot of people didn't reply, but the people who did were mostly grateful because there was someone who was reading as closely as I was to try to make their stories better. And so That's, that led to me to yeah. get profiled by Politico uh, a long time, way before I joined Politico. Uh, I was a power player of the week on Fox News Sunday. Uh, How old were you? I was, must have been, I was 19, 20 years old. That is phenomenal. So you were at GW yeah. and you graduated from the youngster catching people to the expert. And I think Politico figured that we should just hire this guy instead of him emailing all of our reporters uh, I had tried very hard to get hired by the AP or Reuters, uh, but when you're a person who has all these internships, there's you still it, it's a tough journalism job market out there. Yeah, yeah, that's that's amazing. So that's a great story unto itself. So this is a guy that took something he was passionate about, which is by the way, catching people doing something wrong. Sorry, I mean, that's tongue in cheek. Took something he was passionate about, which is news and being accurate. Yeah, and literally. Jump started it right into a career, probably a career that you wanted that you wanted to be in. It's such a cool story. I was I was laughing. I was imagining when Josh was telling me, I was imagining you walking around, kind of like um, who's the Peanuts character with the stuff flying everywhere, just papers, <laughs> you know, everywhere combing through the papers. Did you have? Did you read the paper at you know? For for me, when I was growing up, my dad used to have us read the front page of the Washington Post. I'm from D.C. and we talk about something, you know, at dinner. Yeah. Did you come from one of those houses where you just nose in a newspaper? We didn't. We didn't like talk about specific articles as much, but we were just talking all the time about what was going on and current events. And so my family was, uh, you know, civically minded. And so it was a lot of local news. But when I was growing up, it was the 
Bush administration that I remember the first term, mm-hmm. at least before I went to high school. And so we were talking about 9-11 and the Iraq war. And so that all got me interested and curious about the world since I grew up in a town of 7,000 people. And so I wanted to explore outside of that town exactly in terms of there's a whole wide world out there that uh, I wanted to be a part of. That is the Berkshires in western, far western Massachusetts, right? <laughs> yeah, as far as New York border. Massachusetts. Yeah. A lot of people, when when you say I'm from Massachusetts, they say, oh, you're from Boston? I'm like, of course. no, yeah. I haven't been to Boston in a long time. Right. Uh, you know, there's a, Mitt Romney would not visit our state very much. Uh, or not visit our our what the Berkshires, Western Massachusetts, when he was governor, and so a lot of people held that against him because if he was a, you know he should have represented the whole state instead of uh, you know focusing on Boston and that part of the state. Yeah. So so let's talk just about the the current political climate right now. I know that's just such a the big, broadest statement ever. Um, this morning uh, when Daniel was having his hair did. Uh, 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 in the studio here, he said, "Oh, I was on BBC this morning." I said, "Oh, where'd you shoot that?" He said, "They wanted me in ten minutes from my house." I said, "What was that about?" He said, "Well, you know, of course. What do you think, Mueller? Uh, Mueller's statement and Trump." But what um, you know, staying as nonpartisan as we can. What's the? What's the? What's the? You know, talk to me about you're you're just in it all day, every day. Yeah. So I guess the big news these days is 2020 is ramping up, and you're seeing Trump start to lash out against. Uh, some of the Democrats who are trying to challenge him. And uh, what got a lot of people's attention uh, in the last couple of days was how uh, Trump basically agreed with Kim Jong-un, the North Korean dictator, who described Joe Biden as uh, low IQ. Uh, and he said, <laughs> well... Uh, sorry, sorry, I have to laugh at that, but go ahead, keep and going. Kim Jong-un yeah. said he was a, a low IQ idiot, I think. And Trump said, well, I was much kinder to Joe Biden. I just called him a, a low IQ individual. Yeah. Uh, and so my colleague uh, with Andrew Restuccia and, and I, uh, he was the lead reporter. I just contributed a little bit. Uh, he wrote a story about how this is one of Trump's favorite insults, calling someone low IQ. And so he's used that against uh, Mika Brzezinski and, uh, you know, Supreme Court justices and, uh, you know, everyone under the sun that he – views as someone who is not very smart. And uh, he has said that uh, Lockheed Martin CEO Marilyn Houston and Tim Cook, the Apple CEO, they are high IQ people. He's praised them to uh, his White House aides. Uh, but this is a very you know, retro compliment or even indicator. Of, compliment, like yeah. IQ is something that was in the 80s and 70s. Most people don't take IQ tests anymore. There's a much broader range of intelligence. But Trump is someone who's in his early 70s. And so he thinks in terms of, well, you can measure you know, intelligence just by that number two pencil and you fill out a form. Uh, but he's never actually uh, released his own IQ. We, act- we actually asked the White House for it. Uh, and he refused Politico, to— Politico did? Yeah, yesterday, of course. We, That's awesome. Uh, yeah. If we were going to do this story, we had to ask. Right. And so especially since— uh, so Trump once uh, he tweeted, I think it must have been six years ago that he had the, uh, you know, he had a very high IQ, and so a Twitter uh, critic said, "So what was the actual number?" And he said, "The highest, dumbass." <laughs> and so the that was kind of a fun uh, we unearthed that tweet. Um, 
and he used to criticize Obama for not releasing his grades uh, and when he won't do the same. And so uh, it, it's been interesting to watch how he kind of he loves to kind of view his staff uh, as it's like a Hunger Games type Game of Thrones where he's constantly pitting them against each other. And IQ is one way that he does that with a broad range of people. Now, what uh, obviously uh, 2020 is coming up. There's a bazillion Democrats who have their hats, uh, hats in the ring. What uh, you know, one of the things a lot of people talking about us, us, us lay people, us political people, is the what what we call, and maybe it's not, but the Schultz factor. What 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 are your thoughts on that? Is it do, do you believe that that if he fully comes in um, under an independent flag, that he really causes problems? For the for the Democrats uh, in 2020, oh, we've heard that he actually doesn't want to play a spoiler uh, role. Where if he entered the race, that he would guarantee uh, Trump's reelection, and so that's not something that he wants to do. He wants Trump to get out of office. Uh, but a lot of Democrats really do not like Schultz because they view him as someone who is. This uh, libertarianish you know, and someone who is obsessed with his own ego, ego, for example, that he thinks that he alone can save the republic when uh, he has these policies that he hasn't really articulated why he should be the standard bearer. Uh, and if he really believes in this stuff, why doesn't he run as a Democrat and try to get uh, Democrats and independents to vote for him there to win, win the primary and not have this kind of as a ego trip for for him spoiler yeah this uh do you think he's gonna run i don't think he's gonna run because uh he will look at the polling and say that uh whoever the democrat is i could hurt him without actually having a real chance of winning if if schultz was ahead in the polls uh, of trump or even close to him or uh joe biden or whoever the democrat is Fine, then Democrats would be, you know, wouldn't care if he was elected. But given that uh, it's not like Bernie Sanders is the front runner right now, he is a front runner of the Democratic primary. But even with a Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren, Democrats still don't want Schultz to run because uh, they would either stay at home or they would bite the bullet and vote for Sanders or Elizabeth. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's. Uh... If, if, if nothing, it's going to be very interesting. You're going to have a nice little ride here for the next uh, next year and a half or, or a couple of years. What? Um, so so obviously, I mean, Biden is obviously the front runner, right? So that's why there's such this is such, so uh, it's incredible that it's newsworthy. The IQ stuff. What do you? Uh, how do you feel about uh, you know the, the the common lore that the economy rules? Meaning, if the economy is humming and kicking, it, it doesn't really matter what the sitting president does. Um, you know, they're probably going to get another four. Well, that's usually the case, but this is not a usual president. And so it, you know, Trump could be the person, the kind of the exception that proves the rule where usually if you have such a great economy, then you're almost guaranteed reelection. But uh, Trump is way behind in these polls and the economy is doing great now. And so uh, I don't see, and, you know, if you look at the economic models, most of them show that Trump is going to win, but those models were off last time when they predicted that he would lose. And so it's kind of the reverse here that uh, he has made so many controversial remarks and he's turned off uh, a number of different independent and 
you know, demographic groups uh, in terms of women, suburban, suburbanites uh, who say that they're kind of tired of the chaos of Washington that Trump has kindled. And so uh, even though their pocketbooks might be doing fine, that doesn't mean that they think that the country wants another, you know, I think four I, years of Trump. You know, and I think that, uh, to you know, I think um, Nancy uh, Pelosi, again, we're, we're this is not partisan here. It doesn't matter what you think of it. Or I think she's she's wise to try to shut down all the impeachment mongers because it's one thing that is factual. Um, you know, if the country has to go through that, um, you know, the Republicans, I think, oh, he's getting another four because they're going to be just disgusted by, you know, just the American public in general to get dragged all the way through that again. So not an easy. This is a process that takes months, many months. Oh, and yeah. So it's not like a, you know, the House impeaches in one week and then the Senate does the next week. Yeah. You don't have you only have one Republican, Justin Amash, the libertarian congressman from Michigan, who supports impeachment. And so uh, Democrats do not want to have a failed impeachment bid that really takes down uh, their presidential nominee. And so that's why you have people like Joe Biden, who is not uh, supporting impeachment at this moment. Interesting. Um, so uh, how about, how about uh, you know, regarding just for, you know, for a big part of my audience, um, what's going on politically just regarding real estate, real estate finance, mortgage? I know you just spoke at NAR. You just did a Q&A. Yeah. Share a little bit about that with us. So um, I have a limited visibility in terms of, you know, I don't cover the real estate mm-hmm. uh, business on a you know daily basis. But so I spoke in a Q&A with Shannon McGann, who is the head of government relations for the National Association of Realtors, kind of giving a flavor of Washington uh, for that group. They uh, meet a bunch of times a year, but this was their semi-annual meeting uh, at a hotel in D.C. Uh, and in terms of the I think the the real estate market, I think it's interesting. The one political piece, I think, is how you're seeing some of those Trump properties not do as well in terms of their revenue, that, uh, given that he's president, that there's a lot of American consumers out there who uh, they don't like the president, and so they're not going to go to the uh, Trump Hotel or they're not going to stay at a— So his Trump- brand, this real estate brand has suffered— yeah, among certain uh, of his properties that they've had to take down his uh, name on the Trump name on uh, a couple different properties, including one in New York and I think one in Central America. And so the uh, if you're a person who is uh, a Democrat or just a libertarian or independent that doesn't like Trump, then you might have you probably would have stayed away, but you're definitely staying away from Trump properties now. But he has seen a his D.C. properties doing very well. A lot of uh, foreign interests and companies and industry groups they like to go there, patronize that uh, as kind of a show of support for the president. Now, what about this whole? Uh, you know, this is a, this is a hot button thing that I've noticed has gotten shut down pretty effectively lately. Okay. Um, it got quiet. You tell me if I'm wrong. Maybe I'm maybe maybe I'm wrong. But the whole the the S word. It's a really it's a bad word. It's not the F word. The S word. And that socialism. You know that's a that is a scary word that I personally think, and I'm just a guy. You know that I think people will sit at dinner, bash, 
say they won't and go right in that booth and hit the button. Meaning they will lie and say they didn't and go right in there and vote. They would vote for, for the current, socialist? Or, no, no, no. Or, they would vote for the yeah, current president. They would lie and say they didn't yeah. and they would go right in and hit the button, which is I think what happened last time, to be honest. Yeah. I think people were like, oh, yeah, no, yeah. And they went right in and went, Beep! You know, went right in and hit. They said, you know what? I don't care about this. I don't care about that. I don't care about this. This is the stuff I really care about. And I'm scared to, you know, death of what's going to happen. Now we're talking. Now we're talking new. 2020, whatever, and there's so much. Um, it's a, it's a. I think in general, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, it doesn't even matter. I think the way they're spinning it, you know, the way they're spinning the whole socialism. Uh, I guess just a spin, a socialism spin. Have you noticed that it just got whoop? It got completely shut down. I, I we don't hear much. As much talk of it as because before. the Democrats smartly shut that down in 100 miles an hour. But we should still remember that AOC and Bernie Sanders are still technically socialists, and so we actually have seen, if you look at the polls, more Americans uh, support socialism than ever before. It's growing, so I think it's like 40 percent of it's 40 percent of at least young people who, uh, or maybe even of all Americans who say that. Socialist ideas are are good, and I think that's up uh, significantly. I think the Trump factor and just the the economic uh, tumult in the last ten years until this current upswing uh, has put more people in that camp. Where but does Venezuela kibosh a lot of that? If you if you if you if you educated and you really read, I think uh, it's not just Venezuela. You, there are so many other examples where socialism that's just has current. not worked. Yeah. That's just a current yeah, 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 yeah. in the news, yeah. in your face thing, right? I think that that's that's true. Where, uh, but I don't think you know the country would not die if Bernie Sanders was president because he would still have a Congress that would block and the courts 100%. would. Hundred percent. And yeah. so uh, the. Uh, but there's a reason that Democrats want to – it's much harder to accuse someone like Joe Biden or Bader Rourke or Kamala Harris of being a socialist. And even if Republicans – they always accused every Democrat of being one. And so, right. But it would stick much less a- accurately or, to them if uh, it was more of a centrist Democrat. So do you agree that they've kind of – it's gotten quiet? <laughs> yeah, I think they've they, – they knew that this is not a good – Brand to be associated with, yeah, you could say. And Biden is way ahead of uh, Sanders, correct, in the polls, or yeah, not but way, but just ahead. He's significantly ahead. But we should remember that it's so early, and Jeb Bush was ahead, was way ahead, in uh, you know four years ago, and on the Republican field, and uh, Hillary Clinton was ahead in the general election for most of her entire race, and so. And look what happened. They both lost. Do you think are all hats in the ring at this point? Uh, yeah, I don't I don't see any, anyone else who is remaining that could declare. I think the last one was Bill de Blasio, who had one of the worst campaign rollouts ever. <laughs> who who, who uh, just your 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 short list of uh, true contenders. Who do you think uh, can really contend in 2020, assuming Trump's running again and has the nomination? Who who are the who the Democrat? Who who your your short list of contenders that can win that you think could win against Trump? Yeah, I think uh, Biden could win. Beto could win. Buttigieg could win. Um, Kamala could win. The others. Uh, 
I'm sure many of them could win, but it's they're just less well known, and so they actually haven't done the polling on every you know could John Hickenlooper win in right in all these different states, but uh, he would just be less. Some of the contenders are much less charismatic, and so they're and they're much less well known to Americans, and so they would have to introduce themselves, spend a lot of money, big time, a lot of money, yeah. Yeah, got to get the party completely behind them, right, to 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 contend with that. Because it's interesting, you know, I mean, I think from a lay perspective, I think that Trump went to school on Obama as far as a, as far as um, so, uh, social media is for data. I think he went to school. I think Obama's a genius with data, you know, getting elected. And I think the Trump's team went to school on that and used that. I mean, some of the some of the great uh, some of the greatest quotes, you know, from sort of from his campaign of, you know, people saying, hey. You know, we were going door to door. We know people were. <laughs> we, you know, it didn't matter what the polls said; they were telling us. Like yeah. we knew, you know, we were we were out there, and we knew. And obviously, the next person is. Uh, it's probably a little more even playing field. I mean, everyone is just data, 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 data. And and what t- talk about a little bit of 2020? Just the whole social media piece, the whole platform piece. What 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 have you heard? What's going to be drastically changing there, if anything? I mean, what is uh, Facebook, obviously, the biggest player, or Twitter, or I'm sure you could go on forever on this. Um, obviously, you know, all the arguments are being made that they should be regulated like a utility, yeah. you know, so someone can keep an eye on them. Because <laughs> really no one's keeping an eye on them right now. But of course. how do you think they're going to affect uh, 2020? So the one, two points that I would make is that uh, Facebook, especially in the last couple of days, has gotten so much criticism for keeping that fake Pelosi video on on its site of her slurring her speech. Uh, and so she criticized them uh, just yesterday, in fact. And it's remarkable that Facebook has said, we're happy to you know, just keep this on our site uh, and not actually take it down, given that it's completely false. It's a doctored video. And so Facebook is still having to contend with how to regulate itself uh, and so that's why a lot of Democrats and even Republicans are saying Facebook should be better regulated, given that they seem to not Both always— Both camps. They're in agreement on that one. So we're going to get okay. more regulation, given that you don't usually see Democrats and Republicans agreeing on on that. And so the uh, in terms of social media in 2020, Hillary made a big mistake last time where they didn't actually embed— uh, Facebook gives you an option of they will put employees— of uh, the companies inside the campaign to help them, you know, manage the algorithms and, you know, target their ads properly. And Trump was happy to take that help, but Hillary Clinton wanted to do it herself or her team did. Uh, So they chose not to do that. But I think every, uh, whoever the Democratic nominee is or will be, uh, will select that option because it's very foolish not to accept Facebook's help when, this is where most of the battle is fought on social so, media. So do you think we're going to have the same climate? It still won't be even remotely fixed regarding what's what are the stats? You probably know the numbers. The percentage of people that get their get their news from Facebook, it's massive number, right? And then the percentage of news that's fake on Facebook. So there's it's hard to tell the exact percentage that's fake because there's no right. it's not like a Gallup survey. Right. Uh, and in terms of the percentage of, I don't have the the number offhand, but obviously I would encourage you, even if you get a lot of news on Facebook, there's this, there's still a reason why traditional media outlets like the New York Times, Washington Post, Politico, they exist. And so 
Uh, and face, a lot of companies worry that Facebook will uh, you know, cannibalize their industry in terms of taking all the ad money and taking the eyeballs away from uh, those sites. And so there, uh, you have seen big media uh, do very well under Trump and get many more subscribers and much more revenue and profit, but that doesn't mean that the trends long-term are still worrying and that uh, you have to figure out a way to be essential uh, in terms of getting people to pay for your content. That's the name of the game, paywalls and subscriptions. And the, uh, the I think the next wave will be local newspapers, which have been already hard hit, but you're going to see a lot of them start to fold in the next couple of years or sharply reduce their what they actually do. And their- Only be online, right? Yeah, or just be a shell of their self or just shut down in, in overall because the money will not support uh, them surviving in their current form. So you're already seeing some nonprofit news organizations try to pick up the slack in these states, which is uh, great, but it doesn't supplant the investigative watchdog reporting that uh, newspapers, local newspapers were doing in their state capitals. Interesting. That's very uh, interesting. Do you, do you think we're going to have another – we going to have a year of our social media feeds filled with stuff that we're going to try to figure out whether it's true or not? Uh, or are they going to regulate it a little bit more? Can they even regulate it anymore? They have more people who are looking at the stuff to try to stamp out the uh, the content that is not true or libelous or slanderous. But it's a, such a long-running battle because people will put up that stuff stuff. All day long. And so Facebook does not have enough people to, you know, find all the stuff that needs to be excised. And you still yeah. want free speech. And so if something is controversial, that doesn't mean that you should shut it down. I uh, was telling you before we went on air that I had uh, Andrew Schwartz on here from CSIS. And, you know, he was talking about a second book that he was writing. And the book was actually um, – uh, I think Josh probably remembers the term. I forget the term, but it was it was about um, – Fake news actually creating some type of world event that would be bad, meaning because you can do anything. I mean, you can literally make it look – I mean, you can take deep anyone's – Deep fakes. Yeah, yeah, deep fakes. Taking anyone's image – I mean, you could take – you know, you could walk – you know, home to your girlfriend who's just like, hey, I just watched this. You were here. I was not there. That was not me. That's you. Are you kidding? That is definitely you. That's your voice. That's your, you know, everything. That was not me. Yeah. Right? And you know it wasn't you. But there's uh, like uh, sci-fi or I think there was in Homeland or some of the shows that uh, have had themes of this. But this is such a worrying issue that I, I hope that the government is trying to – Figure out a way you, to, and when you think about, you know, that's a, that's a major thing, like creating a nuclear war or something. I mean, something crazy over over fake news, but or, or deep fakes. But you know, when I think about election coming up and sort of where we are with social media and where we are with everything, I'm just thinking, oh man, this is just going to be a bonanza of just fake stuff. And how quick can they put it up? And then who cares? Who cares? You know, it's like it's like in uh, in, in in court. Right. When uh, when the attorney says something and the judge has strike that and the jury heard it, you know, I mean, strike what? Yeah, they struck it from the record, but they remember hearing it. You know, you just blurted it out. Um, You know, what is the normal consumer? You know, what am I just going to get belted with? It's going to be heavy. Right. Yeah, I think it's uh, that 
you know, it's hard to correct a first impression. And so uh, that's what you're, you're already starting to see with that with the Pelosi video I mentioned where it's something that looks real and uh, looked plausible but is not – is creating a false impression about many what was people. What was their reason for leaving it up for that long? Did they, did they just go quiet or – I. For, don't remember exactly what they said, but they just said that that's our decision. Free speech. Sorry, that they're not going to take everything down, and so it, you know it's, they're going to keep stuff that's creatively uh, mischaracterizing how people actually are without any disclosure. I have that to, says it's fake. We'd have, look, we'd have to look at the exact video and see. Yeah, but I think that. Uh, you know, Facebook, that was a big mistake for them. And it would be interesting to see if Mark Zuckerberg, the next time he does one of those interviews on stage at one of those conferences, whether he admits that they, they messed up here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I don't know. It's it's just such a big – tell me a little bit about – you know, you see my book there, the the little book on, on Big Ego. Do you do – you, do you think it just drives everything? Is this every interview you do? I mean, you interview obviously a lot of cool people, a lot of interesting people. Do you do you find a, a common theme there with a lot of them that it's driven driven that way? I think that uh, people in government uh, and in the private sector they want to get proper credit for what they do, uh, and so they want to uh, kind of brag through you know journalism uh, and. Uh, reporters about what they're actually doing, uh, and there's a whole industry of PR people who whose job it is to get press for their clients, and so uh, having to deal with them all day long, uh, lots of requests and pitches of people wanting being wanting to be in Playbook and wanting to be covered by Politico or not covered. Uh, and not covered. Yeah, that's a very <laughs> don't thing. cover this, please. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it's, it still happens. The, Does that hit you all day? Is that hitting you literally all day? That's just constant, for someone on your constant team. emails to me and people on in our team. And so the uh, and the reason sources talk to you, anonymous background sources talk to you, is uh, often because they their ego is driving them to. Uh, leak stuff to me or to tip me off to a story. And so sources always have motivations, and one of them is ego. You know, Oftentimes it's linked to, I think the public deserves to know this, but sometimes people want to make their colleagues or their enemies or rivals look bad or themselves look good, and so that's why they will talk uh, in the media and uh, through me. Yeah, I was telling, uh, I was telling Dan uh, before as we wrap this up, uh, I – published my book, The Little Book on Big Ego, in 2006. And for those of you that uh, were uh, around then or old enough to consume news, you'll remember that uh, the current president right now, President Trump, was going at it with Rosie O'Donnell. And I even forget what they were going at it over. Huh. But I mean, it was just crazy. They hated each other. They were just, but there was something, it, it was I don't know what spurred it, or maybe it was nothing, but it was just the two of them just going at it, and we were watching it like, are you really? Is this really going on? And they were faxing each other stuff. It wasn't like just email. They were faxing, you know, faxing notes to each other. And uh, at the time, um, you could go on my website, and you could order the book, and you could mail it to anyone you wanted anonymously. And it was really funny to see how many books uh, – 
President Trump got. Well, he wasn't President Trump. Mr. Trump got, and uh, Rosie got. It was uh, they were. It was. It was. It was pretty even up. And um, did you hand deliver them yourself or, uh, to Trump Tower? Or? Yeah, exactly. With a bulletproof vest on. Exactly. <laughs> no, they just got mailed. We had a way to just mail them anonymously, and they would just show up, you know, in a stack, and they couldn't track it. And you have to send them to the White House. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, you know, I'm not sure. I don't know if I want to be <laughs> tweeted about. Uh, if I've not. been tweeted about negatively by Trump. So. You got, you got, you got your name in a tweet? Not a, not my name, but stories I've done. Uh, you know, he is slammed Politico and, um, the multiple times, uh, for stuff that I've been a hand of. Yeah, but you guys don't get the CNN treatment. I mean, Politico does not get the CNN treatment. You guys are – I mean, you shouldn't if you do. I mean, you clearly shouldn't. I mean, I've been reading and consuming Politico for a long time. Um, and, uh, you know, I've always thought it's, you know, just interest. I mean, I, I never thought it was like, uh, you know, a slam job. But, you know, either way, I thought it was pretty, okay, here's what happened. Oh, yeah, you know? we try to be just very down the middle and we're not – uh, biased or leaning one way or another. So uh, that just helps us maintain credibility with our audience. And It's funny. I've, I've told some of my uh, my daughter who just graduated from high school. I've told some of her friends. Uh, my daughter's always loath or scared to have any of her friends in a car with me or near me because I'll start <laughs> talking to them about something. And some of them either have extremely liberal parents or extremely conservative parents. <laughs> and I will I'll always start asking them questions what they think about. And then I'll say, well, did you know? And then I'll start going into facts, just straight facts. And they'll be like, wait, what? Wait, (laughs) wait, 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 what? Well, how would I know that? And I was like, listen, unfortunately, you have to consume a lot and you have to get good at extrapolating because there's no, (laughs) you know, go ahead and read CNN and then go watch Fox and then read the BBC and then replay. I mean, you have to, and then kind of for yourself on your own, try to figure it out. You know, and they kind of look at me incredulously. We're like, "Well, that's not right." What do you mean? I'm like, "Yeah, that's how it, that's how it works." Everybody is slanting, you know, one way or the other. But you guys, uh, that's why I was excited. Josh said, "Hey, I want to get my friend Daniel to come on." I was like, "Cool, Politico, cool." I love Politico. Um, tell me uh, what's coming. Uh, what's coming down the pipe for Politico? What's going? What are you guys into? That's new, fun, cool. Um, talk so, to me about that a little bit as we wrap up. Uh, we've last. Uh, for five years, we've had Politico Europe, which has been a big success. So mm-hmm. we have uh, a team covering the European elections and Brexit, and we have now you don't sleep at all. We have well, there's people there. Okay, all right. they're not looking for you. Okay, no, good. They don't, yeah, I don't need to do them do yeah. much for them. Yeah, uh, but we have uh, Politico Canada, so we are covering Canada more. Uh, Politico in the states, in New York, and New Jersey, and Florida, and California, and list goes on. Uh, and we have a new partnership, uh, relatively new, with the South China Morning Post, so, which is the best newspaper uh, in Asia, daily newspaper in, based in Hong Kong. And so uh, I've already written pieces where we've relied on some reporting from uh, you know, reporters uh, that uh, work for uh, the Morning Post there. Interesting. So, because China is such a huge topic. And so I, I would imagine that uh, you know that's a partnership that's going to bear uh, good fruit uh, you know, going forward and already has. 
Tell uh, tell everybody as we wrap up because I think it's kind of a cool story. Um, not to get all you know crazy or mushy or anything, but you know you're a good story. We just made each other, but you're an interesting story that has turned a career into something that you thought was cool and that you really loved. And you know I always tell people um, when I'm talking to them all the time, uh, especially younger people. You know if you you know if you love what you do, it's never a job. I know it's cliche, but it's true. If you love what you do, it's never a job. And you know I'm always like, hey, if you if you love doing something. Pretty much, I could figure out in front of you, it would take me five minutes to figure out how you could take that love and turn it into some kind of career where you could pay bills. That's, you know, where you could pay bills and, get, and go on vacation so and much, have a great life. And it's so much easier just to wake up in the morning when you know that this is what you're born to do, at least for now, and that uh, it's something that you're providing a public service and it's exciting and it's interesting to interview people all, all day long and then try to you know knit together articles or scoops uh, and help your colleagues with their what they're working on uh, to inform the general public about the vital issues of the day. And so, for me, it doesn't feel like a job; it's more of a calling. When did you start with the uh, with the newspaper articles? How old were you? So I was uh, maybe thirteen or fourteen. All right. So you guys hear that out there? Thirteen or fourteen in would... newspaper articles, finding incorrect stuff. Now look at them. <laughs> but now the uh, but I would start. I started reading newspapers when I was you know ten. As soon yeah, as I could yeah. read, we I was devouring them as much as I could. Um, but so that I started with my local paper in the Berkshires, uh, the Berkshire Eagle, and then the Berkshire Record, and uh, so they also hired me on as an intern to proofread their pages. Proofread. So that was <laughs> that's awesome. That's what I did for a couple of summers. You're like a walking Snopes. We call it a Lipman. Yeah, we can. Yeah, exactly. We can go with that. Yeah. <laughs> And today on the show, we had a walking Snopes. Um, I want to thank you for coming on. We re- I really appreciate it. I think my audience will really enjoy this as well. And uh, we're going to wrap up another episode of The Big Joel Show. This is Daniel Lipman of Politico. You could just Google him. You can go on the Politico website. It's just politico.com, right? Um, it's politico.com. You can look up his articles, blogs. You're all over the map, right? What were you talking about this morning in BBC? Mueller? Mueller and Trump. And I have Sh- CNN. Shocking. And, CNN and MSNBC this weekend. So. Yeah, about that? All about that? They haven't told me their topics yet. But. Yeah, but you have a sneaking suspicion. Whatever the news of the day will be. Yeah. And whatever I'm with. working on. Exactly. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Again, uh, this is a, wraps up another episode of The Big Joel Show. Uh, this was a really cool one. I hope you like it. Um, again, uh, we're available any place uh, that you consume podcasts and uh, Facebook, YouTube, of course, and all the other six or seven other places. Uh, please go on there and uh, give us a like and uh, tell us what you thought of the show. Thank you very much. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.